Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, and other role players. Tune in every Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday for your latest episodes. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Good day, everyone, and welcome back to um, About the Winelands. Today, I'm speaking to Liam Tomlin. He's the owner and founder of Chef's Warehouse. How are you, Liam? Welcome to About the Winelands. Thanks, Will. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, it's challenging times we are in, and um, mm. especially with you being in the restaurant business. So, um, yeah, I can believe it, it must be hard. It is, it's quite difficult, um, but we're doing, I mean, we're taking it day by day. There's nothing really else we can do. We're doing our best to hold on to all our staff. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge, it really is. Liam, how did you, um, tell us a bit to our listeners who would be interested here, how did you get involved in the restaurant and the food industry? Wow, um, I, got, I started an apprenticeship when I was 14 years of age in Dublin. So I left school very early. Um, I started actually washing pots in a hotel in Dublin, and then it just grew out of there. The chef offered me a position, um, and I worked as a young chef in Dublin for a few years, and then I went to London and Switzerland, and sort of, when I got to Switzerland, the penny sort of dropped for me that I really wanted to be a chef. Before that, I was just doing it as a job to make money, but then when I went to Switzerland, I, I just, yeah, totally fell in love with the career. But That's amazing. Hindsight's a great thing. Looking at it now, owning owning six restaurants probably not not the best business to be in. But anyway, no, it's been a very it's been a brilliant industry to be in. I've had an amazing career so far, and I'm sure we'll continue to have an amazing career once we get back on track after this virus. I think you know. I think times will be difficult, but human behavior does not change that quickly. I mean, we've we've um, we've gone through two world wars and a lot of other stuff. So. So let's let's hope that things, you know, will go on its merry way very soon. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share a bit of history about the Chef's Warehouse brand? I mean, I, I saw that you, well, I saw that after Switzerland, did you go to Australia, if I'm right? And, and you also won some awards there. Yeah, we, I had a restaurant. I went to, Moved to Australia. I lived there for 15 years. So I lived in Melbourne for two years and then moved to Sydney and lived there for 13 years. Wow. And we had um, several restaurants there, but we had one called Bank, which was, yeah, that was the one that sort of put us on the map. Um, we, yeah, we won a lot of awards in Australia for that, which was, was fantastic. It was an amazing restaurant. Um, and we had it for six, seven years. Wow. Um, yeah, it was very cool. It was a great restaurant. Why did you make you move to South Africa? Um, originally, I went to Australia for a year um, and ended up staying for 15. And that business in Australia, I was in a partnership that went a bit pear-shaped. So I decided I didn't want to stay. I, I never really originally wanted to go to Australia so I agreed with my wife to go for a year and like I said we stayed for 15 and I decided it was time for a change 
and we'd been to South Africa once before and absolutely loved it. And I wanted a lifestyle very similar to what we had in Australia as far as climate and lifestyle and whatever. Um, and we came to Cape Town and best move ever. Love it here. We Amazing. You sound, really like the, you sound like a typical um, South African immigrating to Australia, the lifestyle and the sunshine. Yeah, you know what they say, the grass is always greener on the other side. <laughs> but when you get there, you still have to cut the grass. It grows. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, Australia is a wonderful place, but um, I love it here in South Africa. I really do. Yeah, what a fantastic country we have. Um, yeah. Can you share a bit of the history of the, um, how you started Chef's Warehouse and the brand? And you know, um, Chef's Warehouse was originally, it was a cookery school and a retail store for cookbooks and kitchen equipment. And then where the original, the, where Chef's Warehouse now, the original on Bree Street, we, that venue came available and I always loved that space. And we decided to move venues and it wasn't in the, in the planning, it wasn't to open a restaurant. It was still gonna be a cookery school, um, we were going to expand the deli side of the business and the, the, the product range and everything. And then, um, I don't know, we had a few seats and we decided we'd do like a light lunch. And we opened the first day. Second day, I think we were full. And it just never, the cookery school sort of never happened. And it ended up turning into what it is today. So it was sort of, uh, it was just purely by moving location. I mean, the lo location for me, I love that space in the original Bree Street space. And it just grew out of that. And then it became extremely, extremely popular. Um, and we had a whole little menu going on, but we offered part of that menu was tapas for two. And after a couple of weeks, we discovered that's all that people were ordering. So we decided to just to do tapas for two. And it's been, that's been the concept ever since. So where did you get this tapas influence? Because it seems I, I saw that was a you know as a as a a kind of a golden thread through your restaurants. Yeah, it was just you know when we were in um, Sydney and we had that restaurant bank that was very fine dining, very top end, very labour intensive, and it was very French influenced. So you were very sort of restricted in as far as what ingredients you could use and what techniques you could use etc so i i just firstly i like eating the way we serve our food so lots of different flavors and sharing so i love that whole concept and i didn't want to be restricted to you know i didn't want it to be like a typical classical spanish tapas so you know, we can go in and we can choose what we want to cook on a daily basis, whether it be Japanese influence or Asian or Indian or Italian or whatever we want, whatever is available to us um, as far as ingredients. And it just gives us so much flexibility, keeps it interesting for the guys in the kitchen because they're learning something on a daily basis. And it also keeps it interesting for guests that they're coming back and we're forever changing our menu. I mean, it changes on a daily basis. Not in all our restaurants, but in Bree Street, it changes um, on a regular basis. Yeah, well, that's that's amazing. Um, you also have restaurants in the Winelands. Um, yeah. We have three. We've got one uh, 
Po Constantia, up in uh, Constantia. We've got another chef's warehouse at Maison in Franchuk. And then we recently opened a restaurant with Neil and Tina Jewell up on the Spice Root Farm in Paul called Jewels. Um, so, yeah, I love I love the restaurants up in the wine mountain. It's just you know they're they're all set in these most beautiful settings. Um, it's just just really really beautiful spaces. Um, I love them. Yeah, I really do. I love the ones in the city, but I also love driving out to the winelands. And it's just a completely di different atmosphere. And, you know, we're blessed with some of the most beautiful countryside in the world, I think, when you go to Paul and Franchuk and drive up through Constantia Neck. I mean, Cape Town is just such a beautiful city. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, and also, you know, you have this advantage almost of a cross-sell. If people come to your Brew Street restaurant, you can say to them, go try our restaurant in this place because then um, they want to visit those places anyway, and, and it would be great. Absolutely. I mean, the tourists would often have people who come to Cape Town from wherever, UK, America, Holland, and they will eat in all five restaurants during a week or 10 days. And that's, that's very special to me. That's, well, that, that, that must make you feel proud, right? Yeah, no, it's brilliant. I mean, the, the, the great thing about Chef's Warehouse is they're all individual you know mm. there's no two the same we're doing completely different thing i've got brilliant chefs chef partners um ivor jones dave schneider we've got nanda Kadasso at um free street i've got jp and nate up at tali and then obviously neil jewel and i mean they're all very talented young chefs and all very different but um and all brilliant cooks so everywhere you go is very very different so, but you can, you know, we've got, there is a common thread through our restaurants. Well, that's amazing. You know, that's, that's so, so what you're telling me is you have a philosophy that, that is the thread, but it doesn't really feel like a chain. No, it's definitely not. I mean, it's, it's very important for me. You know, I stepped out of the kitchen. I'm still very involved with the restaurants on a daily basis, but I stepped out of the kitchen a little bit over two years ago, maybe a little longer to focus more on the business side of it and to focus on the opportunities that come our way. Um, and it's very important for me that, you know, it's, it's not Liam Tomlin Chef's Warehouse. Every Chef's Warehouse, whoever works there gets the credit for what they do. Um, yeah, I founded the, the, the brand and the concept, but these guys are the ones who should take all the credit because like I said, they're very, talented individuals. Well, that's amazing. You also, another fantastic city, of course, is Barcelona. And um, you've yeah. entered into Barcelona. Can you tell us a bit more? That sounds very exciting. Barcelona is um, it's a, run by two chefs who used to work for us in Bree Street. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them, Angelo Scirocco, worked with us for about, uh, I think he was with us for close on two years. And he went over to Barcelona to do some work for me with a, our business partner. And my landlord in Bree Street has hotels just outside Barcelona. And Angelo went over there to do a little bit of work for her to help. 
and he fell in love with a young Spanish girl and he phoned me up and he said he didn't want to come back <laughs> and he wanted to open a restaurant. And that's how, it, that's how it came about. So I said to him, okay, go find a space. And he honestly walked the streets of Barcelona. He went to college every morning to learn the language. He speaks fluent Spanish now, writes it. Incredible young guy. Um, and he phoned me one day, he says, I found the space. And himself, myself, and my landlord from Bree Street are equal partners in that restaurant. And it's hugely, hugely successful, um, obviously, until we got undone with this virus. But uh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Um, and he's a seriously talented guy. Well, amazing story, right? A love story that ends in a restaurant is not... Is, is something that has to be told until you're old, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a true story. He fell in love with this young girl. And she's lovely. I've met her. I've been over there. Um, and he said he's staying. So, and he's happy and he has a European passport. So there was no issues mm -hmm. regarding visas or if he could stay or not. So he's very, very happy. So I see you also have a pantry and a bookshop. So tell us a little bit more about yeah. that. I, I saw somewhere that you wanted to build the biggest cookery a bookshop in South Africa or in Africa? Yeah, we, that was our plan. I mean, we've got a, I think we've probably got one of the biggest selections of cookbooks on offer. Um, it's also, it's located at Bree Street and it's part of the retail section of what we do. So we do in uh, both Maison, um, Bree Street and in um, Jewels up on the Spice Route, we, we do retail in the restaurants also. So okay. we sell all food-related things, and, and especially cookbooks. But we don't do any of the, uh, you know, the TV stuff, the Jamie Olivers or the Nigellas or anything like that. It's all very much, I'm not saying they're not professional, but we don't do mass market stuff. We do mm -hmm. very um, boutique-y, artisanal um, cookbooks. So if you're looking for something out of the ordinary, if we don't have it, we'll get it for you. Very interesting. So you've also written your own books. Can you tell us a bit more about those? I've written um, five books, I think, and I'm in the process now of doing the sixth one. So I've been trying to do it while we've been in closed down during this, but I just can't focus. It's too hard to concentrate on anything at the moment. But I'm doing a book at the moment, which is going to be published by Penguin later this year. And it's basically a book about our five restaurants here. And it's a chapter on each of the chefs and their food and their philosophy and all about our, um, yeah, how we operate as a business, each individual chef's philosophy, all about our, our suppliers, our ingredients, sustainability. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a photographic journey through a day in the life of a kitchen but we've got an amazing young photographer a lady called Claire Gunn who is and used to be a chef herself so she completely understands the runnings of a kitchen completely gets food so it's just a, it's an absolute pleasure and we're not we're not it's not your typical book where we stylize everything Claire just goes in and shoots from seven in the morning to 11 at night and she shoots everything as it is, as it's going out to the restaurant, as it's served to the guest, whatever. There's no um, frilling it up. It's, it's really in-your-face kitchen stuff. But it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's really, I think it's going to be the best book we've ever done. And Sounds then we've awesome. got a book. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's very exciting. 
then we've got another book that's um, been republished. Uh, it's on its second print run now, and it should be, I think it's released in June, again, um, through uh, Penguin. Um, and it's, it's called Tappers, and it's based on Bree Street. So we published that about four or five years ago. So we've, we've redone it. We've put some new dishes in, took some of the old one out, put some new shots in it, etc. So we've sort of refreshed it, um, republished it. So that should be out hopefully in June. Okay. If, awesome. the, books, if the bookstores are open. <laughs> yeah, that's a different story, right? We'll, we'll come to that a bit later. What is the, I'll be selling it at the traffic lights. I'm sure you'll get some buyers. <laughs> <laughs> what is the um, Ginger and Lime's cooking school? Ginger and Lime is a, a very dear friend of mine, um, Denise Levy, and it's uh, she set up a cookery school, oh, probably three or four years ago. And she started it in her home in Fresne. And I used to um, do quite a few classes with her, but it's a, it's a beautiful space where you can either come and see a chef like myself do cooking demonstrations, or you, there's lots of other people who come and do demos, or you can um, hire it out and do um, hands-on cooking with Denise and her team or you can hire it as a space just for, you know, if you want to do a work event or a team building event or anything like that. And now she's opened a, a second one called Kitchen Collective and that's in, um, in the Bocop. So it's a, it's a much bigger space, but it's basically, um, she's just got a, she's not a chef by profession. She's just got a, a real passion for food and she just, always had a dream of opening up her own cookery school and she did it a couple of years ago it's hugely successful and she's just published her own her own book her own cookbook as well with her favorite recipes from her travels and from her cookery schools oh that's amazing yeah no she's a very special woman your cooking philosophy how did that where did that come from and, and what is your cooking philosophy um quite honestly um you know, you'll get a lot of chefs who say they were cooked with their grandmother or whatever. I, I did I, none of that. I mean, I was brought up in Ireland. It was very basic food. It was, you know, we, you knew what you were eating on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was sort <laughs> of a very small repertoire. I'm not, not knocking it, but my mum was a great cook and a great baker. And she cooked for us every single day. Um, we had wonderful food, but it was never, it never fascinated me at that age. Um, and like I said, I got into kitchens purely because I wanted to get out of school. Um, I wanted a job. I wanted a bit of pocket money. And it just, it grew on me over, over the years. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably very old school when I look at the young guys who work with us now. Um, I am quite old school. Um, and I like to keep things pretty simple. Um, my whole philosophy is less is more. You know, I look at a dish and I'll look at what I can take off the drawer and what I need to add to it. Yeah. I, I find this, this uh, your, your, our, our winemakers say the same thing, right? It's all about, you know, the, the, the ingredients and letting nature do its work. And, you know, I think um, with cooking, it's probably the same thing. Like I just wanted to say, the ingredients are so important. 
yeah absolutely i mean we've we've got we've got such amazing ingredients here you know the the produce here is is as good as anything in the world anywhere else in the world um we've got amazing little boutique growers and suppliers um you know we up at the restaurants we're so lucky we can even forage some beautiful mushrooms and herbs we're very lucky we've got space where we can grow our own vegetables we've got beautiful vegetable gardens of our own so it's very much um we're very seasonal driven so we don't we you know you won't see israeli strawberries on our menu you see strawberries when they're grown in south africa in season same with our asparagus you won't see asparagus from thailand or wherever um so we're very all our chefs i think are very seasonal driven um but for me yeah less is more and it, it really is I, I just hate over complicated food um i don't see the point in it i really don't yeah so and i don't I just, want to eat that type of food i agree with to you be totally. quite honest. just a quick interruption but i do need to remind you that we are currently in a very difficult time the south african government has set up a fund where businesses and individuals can donate to support our country through this crisis. Go to the website now and add your small donation, www.solidaritifund.co.za. Please join us all in the fight against COVID-19. That is at www.solidaritifund.co.za. Now, let's get on with the show. Uh, what are the most important traits that a chef should have, do you think? Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's changed a hell of a lot since I trained in, like, if, if I look at when I worked in Dublin, London, and I work in Amsterdam, I work in Italy, I work in Switzerland. And we, we used to, and we still have young chefs who are completely dedicated to this profession. Um, but we used to work 16, 18 hours a day. I used to work for the Rue brothers. I always tell, remember Michel Rue telling me that you couldn't cook good food in eight hours. And basically that was his way of telling me you're going to work 16 hours a day, but I'm only going to pay you for eight. <laughs> but we did that. We did it because, you know, those other eight hours, even though you didn't get paid for it, it was an education like mm. you get nowhere else. Um, and now with labor laws, especially, I still follow what goes on in Australia a lot because obviously I lived there for 15 years. I've got lots of friends there still. I mean, I don't know how they operate over there. It's, it's a very strict eight hour a day. Um, and it's true. You can't cook great food in eight hours a day. You really can't. And it's, it's not feasible to have, in most restaurants, it's not feasible to have two shifts um, a week. We're very lucky up till a couple of weeks ago, our restaurants were extremely busy. So we, we can, we try and work um, our chefs four days a week. So they get three days rest. Um, we make sure they eat well. I mean, that never happened when I was um, working. You know, you were lucky you had a choice, get a 10 minute break or go outside and have a couple of cigarettes. Most of us went outside and had a couple of cigarettes. So you wouldn't eat all day. And when you did, it wasn't very healthy food, but we try and cook a decent meal for all our staff every single day. A lot of them is the only meal they're gonna have 
Um, but I think it's, it's, you've got to have passion for this. This is, and you've got to be com completely committed. But I also think it's really important early on in your career is to decide what it is you want out of the career. Do you want to own your own restaurant? Do you want to be the executive chef of a large hotel? Do you want to be the chef on a cruise liner? Do you want to do, do you want to have a catering company? Whatever it is, and then train towards your goal. Um, and especially, you know, young chefs who want to go into business eventually is to learn about business. You know, a lot of fantastic chefs around, and me, me included, we're not the best business brains. We're cooks at the end of the day. So for me, really, really important that you if, you, if you do want to go off and set up your own business, whether it's a top-end restaurant, catering company, um, I don't know, it could be a food truck, whatever, a stall in the market. You need to do the figures. You need to know, you know, you need to be, there's a lot more now. I'm, I'm, I'm a human resources person. I'm an accountant. I'm a chef. I'm a restaurateur. I'm a cleaner. I'm, you've got to be, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted, this, this, um, this profession. I think reality TV has made it look very glossy. Um, very glamorous but it's like any profession it's like premier football ship it's like formula one racing it's like anything there's only a very few that make it to really to the top of the game and they're the ones you'll see on tv are the ones who you know the celebrity guys the ramses and th that's very few that's mm. zero zero point zero 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 two percent of the industry Unfortunately, those are the guys that, that young people see and they aspire to and they don't realize the hard work that um, goes with, you know, getting to a point like that. No, absolutely. They all want to be TV stars, but they don't want to do the hard work. I mean, for me, you know, I think I'd worked in the profession for 15 years before I took my first head chef position. Um, now kids, kids will get offered a head chef position after coming out of college after three years. It's ridiculous. It, it really is, but we don't have the volume of people we used to have. Also, we have a world, world that, you know, everybody wants instant gratification. I mean, I think that yeah. also even happens with your customers, right? They don't want to wait for anymore. They just want everything fresh and served immediately. Um, no, that's true. It's very, very true. It's really true. Well, one thing I'm very interested in that you're talking about, you know, you're, in your traditional, I mean, you had a very traditional um, experience in, in, in starting really at the bottom in the restaurant and working yourself up. Were you ever yeah. trained in any business, um, um, the business side of, or, or the, the guys that, that you work with keep that to themselves? Um, and um, did that change over time? Do restaurants now actually train the shifts in the business side? I try to. I think it's very important. Um, I think, I think it's really important um, that the young guys understand the value of everything and what things cost. And, you know, everybody looks, looks at, walks into one of our restaurants on a busy night and often people will say to me, oh, you must be coining it because, you know, you've got four or five full restaurants. But, you know, our rents are massive. Mm. Um, our VAT bills are massive, our salary bills are massive, our gas, our electricity, our water, our refuse, um, our PAYE, our, I mean, there are so many things that come off that 500 rand bill or 1,000 rand bill. Um, there's so much that 
out of that thousand grand that has to be paid even before you consider looking at profits. I mean, the price of ingredients, the wine list, the license fees, it, just, it goes on and on and on. You know, the mm. printing of menus, the soap in the bathrooms, the, it, it's just, it's endless. Staff uniforms, um, uh, credit card fees, bank fees, license fees to have your liquor license. It just, you know, there's, everybody thinks uh, restaurants print money, but it's the margins get smaller and smaller and smaller. And now my big fear is when we come out of lockdown and we're supposed to keep social distancing and we're not allowed to have so many people in the restaurant, mm -hmm. etc. You know, my restaurants are designed for a certain amount of people. So if it's a 60 seat restaurant, it needs to have 60 people in it to make it a profitable business. You can't have a 60 seat restaurant and be told you can only serve 30 people and you can't serve alcohol after six o'clock in the evening. That's not a business model anymore. So I, I, I really fear for not just the restaurant industry, the wine industry. I've been watching, obviously we're, we've got restaurants and three wineries and I've got lots of friends in the wine industry, um, farmers, winemakers, um, salespeople, etc. And um, you know, the restaurant industry, a lot of people depend on us, like the wine industry depend on us. We've got all these different farmers. Um, you know, we've got, I've got over a hundred suppliers and services that I use that I'm not using at the moment. So it's not just the restaurant industry, it's the knock-on effect of, of what's, what's gonna come out of this if, if we are limited to what we can do. Well, it's not, it's the whole chain, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's yeah, absolutely. Completely. I mean, it's not just the restaurant in a lot of, you know, I get the impression when I look at Facebook and a lot of social media, I mean, restaurants are getting a huge amount of coverage. But I mean, there's every single industry is taking a knock at the moment. I've got lots of friends in different industries and they're all taking a knock. I think uh, when we come out, we're, we're all going to operate differently for sure. Well, the, the, you know, there's such a knock on effect and eventually, it all flows through to the financial industry because the banks, you know, everybody has some kind of a banking facility. So, so eventually if this carries on, it, we will have some kind of a financial crisis. So that mm, is also a, a, bit, a bit worrying. But um, I want to ask you something else, you know, that you talked about the, the actual staff and stuff like that. One of the things I've noticed in, in South Africa, you know, and, and is that um, your there is a huge differential between people actually working in a restaurant and their income level and the actual person maybe eating there. And the problem with this is not a lot of times that um, I found even uh, I, you know, at five-star hotels and stuff like that, that your staff are not always knowledgeable about the food they are serving and stuff like that because they haven't really ever experienced it themselves. How do you bridge that gap? What you put in, you'll get out. And we put a lot of time and effort into our stuff. We really do. Um, it's very important for me that they're trained in product knowledge, in wine lists and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, a restaurant isn't just about coming and having a plate of food. A restaurant for me is a complete experience. It's a, you know, it's a night out for a lot of people. A lot of people use it for business. A lot of people use it for entertainment. A lot of people celebrate um it's 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 an event it's a it's a night out i mean i eat out often and it's probably the thing i'm missing most obviously my work but also been able to go to my favorite restaurants um but for me the restaurant is an experience from the minute you pick up that phone to make the reservation 
to when you leave and someone says goodbye to you and thank you as you walk out the door. You know, the space is part of the experience, the service is an experience, the food, the ambience, the view, the music, um, it's your comp the company you're keeping. It's a it's complete, complete experience. It's, it's not dissimilar to going to a, to a show in the theater. Um, oh. It's a performance. It's true, and, and um, you know, that's what you remember. You, you remember your experience. We train our staff to do, you know, to to go on stage twice a day, every day, and perform. <laughs> and we don't always get it right. That's for sure. You just have to read TripAdvisor, and they'll they'll tell you. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we try. We really, we really try hard. And you know, the salaries, yeah, that's not the best paid job, but like I say to the young chefs, you know, yeah, it's not the best paid job, but you're getting some of the best training. And over years, it's like anything, the better you get, the more you'll get. Um, and that's, that's, I found, you know, I used to, when I lived in London, basically my money went on my accommodation and my mm. tube fare, and that was it, a couple of packets of cigarettes a week and you were done. There was no money left, but you know, now I'm in a better financial position. Well, I was up until four or five weeks ago, but you know what I'm saying? As, as you, as you progress and um, you get promoted into a higher position or you move to another country or whatever it is, but um, over time, it, it can be a very rewarding business. I have to ask you about wine. What is your favorite? Um, I'm a very big red wine drinker. Um, in the summer, lots of pinot, lovely chilled pinot. And then in the winter, I'm more Cab Sav, Shiraz, sort of bigger, bolder wines. You obviously love your South African wines. Yeah, how do they compare for I, you with the rest I, of the world? I only drink South African wine. I don't see the point in drinking anything else when I'm in South Africa, to be quite honest. And it's like if I'm in Australia, I don't see the point of drinking anything else or in France. But I mean, we, our wines are incredible. They really are. There's just, um, we're so fortunate. We, re we really, really are so fortunate to have the wine industry that we do have in this country. Um, and they can be super, super proud of what they produce. So how important is wine in your restaurant experience? Massive. I mean, it's, um, it's huge for us. It's, it's out of all our alcohol sales, it's probably 95% of our sales. Um, and, you know, I, I get amazing feedback when I speak to guests, especially um, overseas guests. I mean, they're always amazed at the quality firstly of the wine here and value for money i mean they're drinking mm. they're drinking some of the best wines they'll ever drink because it's affordable they've never drink wine like this back in their own country at this level um for this price um so yeah i just hope the government lifts these bans sooner rather than later i get why they've done it but um i just don't understand who's gonna you know if we can't start selling wine and alcohol soon, I don't know how we're going to repay all this debt that there, all these billions and billions are thrown around the place if nobody's generating any income. 
Well, that's, 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 that's so, you know, it's, it's such a worry uh, for everyone. I mean, and this coronavirus has forced all of us to rethink our business models. So, no, absolutely. Have you, do you have any and changes I'm, in mind that you can do, uh, you know, in your business model? Yeah, look, we, we are trying to, um, we, I've got an amazing senior team, like I said, with business partners and head chefs and managers. And we speak on a regular basis via zoom um and we're all you know like i say these are the brains of our business i can't operate without them mm -hmm. and we 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 chat every day for an hour or two and we bring our accountant into it and we bring our labor lawyer into it where needed um and we are i want to come out of this in, in a positive way and not a negative way I, i'm not going to jump on the bandwagon of slash prices and um offer two for one or whatever to get people back in that to me doesn't make any financial sense i'm not going to jeopardize the standard that i've spent years building and none of my chefs or managers or staff want to do that when chef's warehouse comes back i want it to be bigger and better not oh remember what it used to be like before the virus i want it to be as good if not better and we've got some exciting stuff that we're going to introduce when we come back, but it's um, it's it's stuff that we didn't have before we went away. So we're trying to turn this into a positive. So we're very busily, for an example, up at Bo Constantia, we are very very busy redecorating our private dining room, which is a most amazing little spot in on the farm in Bo Constantia, overlooking the whole of the valley. Um, so we're very very we were in the process of doing it just before lockdown, but when we come back, we're going to have a brand new private dining space because I think people will be looking for private spaces where they don't have to mingle with other guests. So that to me is a positive. We're going to come back with this beautiful new dining room. Mm -hmm. In Maison up in Franchuk, we are looking at um, launching um, accommodation. So there's an amazing opportunity up there for us for accommodation. So we're going to come back, I would like to think, as a beautiful little boutique hotel with, with a dining room, the Maison restaurant. So we're trying to, I'm trying to add positives to everything and not negatives. I want it to be exciting. I want to have something new when we come back. I want to give guests and our customers another reason to come and visit and see what we've been doing while we've been um, obviously closed, we're still working very hard in the background to try and come up with new ideas. But I don't believe the, the way forward is to slash prices because mm. um, you know we're at a certain price for a reason because that's what we need to charge to cover our costs, to pay our staff, et cetera. So to go and slash the prices, you know, after this, the electricity isn't gonna be cut by half the water, isn't going to be cut by half. My supplies aren't going to be, you know, dropping their prices by half. So I definitely can't afford to be cutting my prices in my restaurant by half. I, I understand. So do, um, what about other revenue streams? I mean, you guys have a pantry and you also have books. Have you thought about, um, say, delivering, delivering from your pantry, home deliveries or any digital stuff? We've looked at it, obviously take out. Um, but you know again it current current situation it's not financially viable to do takeout 
um, if there's curfew between eight and five in the morning, um, you know, that means your, your delivery time is, is very limited. Mm. People aren't allowed to come to your restaurant to pick it up. So it means you've got to pass it on to someone to deliver it, who I think, I've never done delivery, but I think it's around 25, 30% of the, um, of the, the revenue. So, and then whoever's delivering is going to pick up the tip at the other end. I, I, mm. I just, I only think the delivery um, companies are going to get rich out of that. And, you know, my overheads, if I turn on, if I go in and open one of my restaurants and fire the kitchen up, it's going to cost me the same price to do, let's say we do 10 takeouts in one night. It's going to cost me the same price as it would cost me to do a hundred paying customers in my restaurant as wow. far as utilities. So it doesn't, the overheads, just doesn't stack up. I don't, and, and what am I charging? A quarter of what I would charge in my restaurant because it's takeout um, and I'm not geared for it. I don't have the equipment for it. I don't have the packaging for it. I don't, I've never done it before. I'm, we're not a takeout service. Uh -huh. So um, for me, it's not a solution right now. Maybe when we reopen, um, we've got a restaurant called Tali, which is an Indian tapas bar, tapas restaurant order that is the only one that would make any sense to me to do takeaway from but where people come and pick it up just to, for me to cook all day and pack all day and give it to someone to deliver and give them 25 percent for getting on a bike and delivering it to a house doesn't make commercial sense yeah so liam what is the most important thing that you've learned from your food journey um wow That's a difficult one. I mean, I've had so many amazing experiences, really. I've, I've, I mean, it's, I've worked in 20 different countries. I've met probably all my food heroes, if you like. I've um, been invited to amazing events. I've cooked for amazing people. I've got amazing staff. They're almost family to us. Um, the same when we were in Australia, they were family to us. Um, you know, I think, I, I really don't know. I've had an amazing journey up to now, and this is part of our journey. This is just gonna lead on to something else. Um, you know, we're all gonna operate differently. I really don't know. It just, I, I suppose, go with the flow. We've gotta take it day by day. That's, I mean, a good, that's, remember, a good, that's good advice, go with the flow, because you never know yeah. what happens. We've just learned how quickly our world can be up in that, right? It's, Absolutely. Anybody expect over, that? We can't over plan. I mean, we, we really can't, because we, we can see now we're not totally in control. Um, one thing I have learned is I'll put more money by next, <laughs> next season for, you know, I'll, be, I'll keep more money in the business, because I think a lot of people will come undone for not having a, a, enough money in their business. Um, I think we're very lucky this happened when it did to us because we got 90, 80% of the of season mm. in before this happened. So a lot of restaurants will be financially in a good position. Um, if this had happened in winter, I think the fallout would have been, would be a lot worse, but we have, I've had a fairly, I can't speak for everybody, but we've had a fairly good season up to date until, until we were closed down with this virus. So 
I get um, the same message from people in the Winelands, and and like yeah. say, they they all everyone had a good season, and a lot of restaurants, mm. especially um, um yeah, yeah in um, Stellenbosch and, and these places, um actually close in winter time anyway, so yeah only for a month, so so I think yeah, a a so, yeah a lot of them do, so yeah it is, but yeah I I do worry. I worry about the restaurant scene. I really do. There's a lot of young guys out there who've opened, you know, who won't have huge cash flow, etc. That's for sure. Um, I worry about those guys. I really do. So, Liam, can you give us your very own wine quote? Um, I've decided you might cheat and give us a food and wine quote if you want to. I don't really have a wine quote, but I'll tell you <laughs> what I've learned. <laughs> okay. Is again, like I say, just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'm lucky I've got a nice little wine collection at home, but I've started opening all the good stuff and I'm working backwards now. See, all the stuff that has been aged, I, like I said, we have got no idea what's around the corner. So I'm going to start like drinking. My drink quote is drink, drink the good stuff. Drink the good stuff now because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Absolutely, because it would be a shame to, be a shame to leave this behind. Uh, immediately going to open a bottle or two today definitely so yeah yeah absolutely i'm going to cook lunch in, a, in an hour or so and i'll sit and every day i sit cook lunch this is a nice thing there's some nice things coming out of this mm -hmm. i actually spend more time at home i'm actually cooking and sitting down and having lunch every day and i am opening a good bottle of wine every day so my my think my advice is start with the oldest and work your way back by the time you get down to the other stuff it'll be all aged and and we'll all be out of this. So Liam, if people want to know more about you and your business and want to get hold of you, how did they get hold of you guys? Uh, we've got a website, um, www.chefswarehouse.co.za mm -hmm. and there's information on all our different businesses, etc., and contact numbers and email addresses, etc. Okay, awesome. And we will be, as soon as we've got an idea of when we're going to be operating, we're going to be all over all over social media telling everybody that we're open again. Okay, that's And we that's, look forward to having everybody hopefully back in the restaurant. That's awesome. Liam, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate that you take time. Um, I Thanks, know you have well. a busy life and um, yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Take care. You too. Cheers. Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, Please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description.